Brothers and sisters, we hear the word of our God as it's read this morning. Two scripture readings, Old Covenant and then New Covenant, Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, be reading verses 1 through 10 and then 19 to 21. Story well known even to children, God calls Samuel. God calls Samuel in the time of the judges. Time in the, excuse me, the history of Israel, very dark times, difficult times, very few prophets. And the Lord calls Samuel to be his spokesperson, his prophet. Here it is, word of the Lord for Samuel 3, beginning at verse 1. The word of our God. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, so he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Going down to verse 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Second scripture reading, New Covenant, New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first, first, the first seven verses. Here the Apostle Paul writing an exhortation to Timothy, even as to the whole church. Instruction about the calling of men to the ministry. Pastors, but also elders, and their qualifications. First Timothy 3, beginning of verse 1. Here again, the word of our God. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not covetous, 
one who rules his own household well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony amongst those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading, and particularly the teaching of his word. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to recruit men for the gospel ministry. To call men to become pastors, evangelists, missionaries, and teachers. I'm on that mission for the province of Quebec, but for the whole church of Jesus Christ. We are all on that mission, brothers and sisters, all called to recruit better, to call men to the ministry, pastor, evangelist, missionary, teacher. The need is great. Your own pulpit is vacant. Many pulpits are vacant. And there's a crying need for great missionaries to go out to all the world. We are on this mission, brothers and sisters, because the Spirit himself is on the mission, calling men to the gospel ministry. And we read his call here in our text, 1 Timothy 3, the first verse. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop or overseer, he desires a good work. A faithful saying reads like a proverb, a truth. A saying that commends the work of a bishop or an overseer. And therefore encourages men to seek that office. To seek to be called to the work of gospel ministry. Brothers, the Spirit is calling and brothers, men here, you need to consider the call of the Spirit to gospel ministry. To eagerly desire the noble task, the good work of an overseer. I'd like to develop the text which is before us, considering three key words from the passage. First of all, that of an overseer or bishop. I don't know about you, but in the Reformed... In the Reformed Church, I've never heard of an overseer or a bishop, so we need to understand what this word means. And second of all, we need to consider that description of it being a good work or noble task. Another translation, the work of an overseer is a difficult task, dangerous, discouraging, but above all, above all, a noble, good work of our Lord. And finally, to consider the verb desire. Repeated twice. Other translations, aspire and desire. What does it mean to aspire, even eagerly desire, to become a pastor, evangelist, missionary, or teacher? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to listen attentively to the message, as we should with all sermons. But I can well appreciate some of you are saying here, sermon about calling men to the ministry? Nothing to do with me. I'm a woman just a little child. I'm too old to begin a new career. I can't teach. I can't lead. And the objection is legitimate. Most of you will not be called to be pastors, and I need to explain how this text applies to you as well. 
But we need to listen attentively to, attentively to the text because the Spirit says that this is a faithful saying. He's drawing our attention to this text. Remember, this is in the day before we had computers and word processors and where they could not highlight or bold or make the letters bigger or put arrows like we do today. If you want to draw attention, you had to say it. This is an important saying, a trustworthy saying, a reliable saying. But there's more in this text because when the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, this is a faithful saying, he's usually speaking about the redemption work of Jesus Christ. You can look at 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 and 17 as an example. But now, surprisingly, he's calling us to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ as it comes in the calling of men to the ministry. You need to understand the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. As you well know, even the children, Jesus was born Christmas Day. He lived a life in miracles and teaching. He died. He arose. He ascended into heaven. And seated at the right hand of God, he received from the Father the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that he pours upon the church to all the children of God, all the elect children of God, the great covenant blessing that we receive of the Spirit. But there's a particular gift of the Spirit, the particular unction of the Spirit given upon those who are called to the ordained ministry. Those who are called to be pastors, evangelists, missionaries and teachers, elders and deacons. This is the next stage of Christ's redemptive work. That after his birth, death, resurrection and ascension, his next work is sending out preachers of the gospel. And this is an essential work. It's the invisible work of the Spirit as he gathers in the children of God through the visible, audible preaching of the gospel. We need to pay attention. The Spirit is calling. Christ's redemption is going forth. Let's look at our text. Three points. First of all, let's begin with the object of what is to be desired. The work of a bishop, as it says in our translation. Overseer in other translations. There's a call for godly overseers to care for the children of God. The call for godly overseers to care for the children of God. Our text here uses the word bishop. It's not a word we use too often. It was not used often in the days of Paul neither. The Greek word is episkopos, which means office, ministry as a church leader. It's a religious role involving both service and leadership in the church. Often we translate it bishop, overseer, sometimes official, leader, elder. There is a relationship to the work of the elders, which I will not deal with today. The, word, the translation bishop, back in the days of Paul in the first centuries, was a leader of the church, of a local church. There's no sense of hierarchy as we have today in the Roman Catholic Church. The word bishop creates a bit too much confusion, I find, in our culture, so I prefer the word overseer, the, word of an, the work of an overseer. But as I say the word overseer, you can think in your mind, pastor, evangelist, missionary, teacher work of a pastor. And yet, at the same time, it's good for us to have different terms that we use to do, describe who is the pastor. When I was in seminary, we had to read the book from John Stott, A Preacher's Portrait, some New Testament word studies. And he goes through the different words to describe the work of the pastor, overseer, bishop, preacher, shepherd, ambassador, in order to develop the full scope of their work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Even in the days of Paul, this was probably a somewhat new role in office in the life of the church. You remember also the children and young people 
We studied the missionary journeys of Paul. He would plant a church, and when he went back, he would establish or set up elders in each of the churches. We're now getting into the second generation. Apostles and prophets that laid the foundation. They've given us the word of God, even as it is written. We now need teachers, not apostles and prophets. We need teachers. These will be the pastors, the overseers, the preachers of the gospel. And their work has, needs to be defined and their qualifications defined, as Paul does in this text. The work of an overseer, it is a position, but particularly the responsibility that he has. It's good to call him an overseer. Someone who oversees. Someone who, according to the Greek word, is one, one who watches over. One who cares for. We need a man who cares for the flock of God. This is the mother, mothering role of the pastor. The mother who cares for her newborn child. The mother who cares for her young child. The mother who cares for her teenage child. The pastor needs to have that motherly affection to care for the children of God. Apostle Paul makes reference to this as we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when he's speaking to the elders, leaders of the church of Ephesus. He says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, literally to shepherd, the church of God. We need overseers. Men who have mother-like affection to care for the flock of God. I should take a pause here and say a word because for some people, believers and non-believers, the word pastor causes a reaction. A reaction of disappointment, discouragement, and even disgust. Because for some, both in the church and outside the church, the name pastor or priest or clergy reminds them of having been neglected by the pastor, having been mistreated, and in some cases, abused. And how horrible to be mistreated, abused by a man of God. May the Lord forgive us pastors for our sins against his children. We live in the province of Quebec and we hear these stories all too often as it is in other parts of Canada and around the world. Horrible stories of priests, pastors even, who have abused people in the church, even young children. And so the church has a horrible reputation. Christians have a horrible reputation. Even Christ has a horrible reputation because of clergy who have mistreated the flock. We need pastors, we need overseers who will care for, with mother-like affection, the children of God. And if it's your situation or a situation of someone you know who has been mistreated, you need to speak, you need to help, and above all, you need to return to Christ. Christ who is, says the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 25, you need to return to Christ who is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Christ who cares for your soul. Christ who has mother-like affection for your soul. 
since the work of an overseer is of such great importance, there's an emphasis in our text upon the character of an overseer or pastor or evangelist. We read it in our text that he must be, verse 2, blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own household well. There's emphasis on his moral character. There are also skills he must have, competencies he must be able to teach. He must be able to manage his own household well. Why? So that he can, as we read in verse 4 and 5, that he can take care of the flock of God, the house of God, his church. Again, we're not seeking a man who's perfect, a man who is being sanctified and made more in Christ's image. But we need to raise men, train men, so that they will indeed have godly character. My responsibilities at the moment, one of them is to train men for the ministry. And so we give them classes in biblical languages, exegesis, systematic theology, pastoral theology, church history. But we're also seeking to institute a more active mentoring of the young men, of the men for the ministry. So that they would have the godly character to be Christ's representative and to care for the people of God. The lesson from this text then is that we are calling, seeking, seeking godly overseers who will care for the people of God. This is Spirit's mission. He's calling for and seeking godly overseers who can care for God's people. And that needs to be part of our mission. Something that we teach regularly, both in the pulpit, Sunday school classes, catechism classes. Well, there's so much to preach about, so much that needs to be taught about God, creation, redemption in Jesus Christ, dealing with issues of family, marriage, single, anxiety. But we must not neglect what is a faithful saying. A step in Christ's redemption, an essential step in Christ's redemptive work calling men to the ministry because the spirit is calling men to become overseers for this great work go on to the second point that this is indeed the ministry of the overseer is a good work as it says in our translation it is a good work the good work of an overseer is something which is to be indeed excellent noble praiseworthy a praiseworthy work if we look at a text, we could say in the first part, it's interesting that what Paul does not say. He does not say that the work of an overseer is a work of power or politics, prosperity. Some seek to become a pastor or priest in order to get rich. It's not a work of popularity, most viewed on sermon audio or YouTube. It's a temptation we have. Most preachers we never remember after they die. You may have heard of John Calvin, Hope, great preacher. Do you know that we have very few of his sermons? A lot of his commentaries, institutes of the theology, but very few of his sermons. I read a few years ago that in the early 1800s, the Library of Geneva needed more room. No one was interested in Calvin's th- theology, so they said, Calvin's books, his sermons, we'll sell them. Bye, gone, lost them. Only a few exist. Two years ago, I was going through my filing cabinets and looking through all my notes and thinking, do I keep these? Maybe in 100, 200 years, someone's going to do research on that great pastor, Ben Westervelt, as he worked in Quebec City. And No, we recycle it. Pastors live. They preach their last sermon. They die. 
and they're forgotten. And that's okay. Because God raises up more preachers. Paul also does not say that the work of a pastor is an easy task. It's not easy. He does not say it's a work without fatigue and exhaustion. Not a work without tears and frustration, discouragement. It's not a work without criticism and persecution. It's not a work without the attacks of the devil. Because the devil knows, like a lion roar, he's looking for someone to attack, to devour, that if he can strike the shepherd, he will scatter the flock. Or the words of Paul Tripp in a recent book, it's a dangerous calling. It's a dangerous calling. And the danger is not the outside world. The danger is in the heart of the pastor. He must shepherd his own heart against the temptations and the weakness of the flesh by the gift of the Spirit. But what is so good in this text is what the Spirit tells us. That this is a good work. Or the other translation, this is a noble task. It is good, noble, praiseworthy, an excellent work and service which we give to the church of Jesus Christ. It's a noble task because the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, the teacher, he serves the king of kings who is a noble king of a great kingdom. Now we recognize that all vocations are noble because we all serve Christ. So whether you're a farmer or landscaper, doctor, teacher, mother, volunteer, a poet, pianist, these are all noble vocations in our kingdom of God. But still there's a particular nobility to the work of a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, and a teacher. A particular nobility in the work of Christ's redemption. A nobility which we need to honor and recognize. The province of Quebec, mostly Catholic, excuse me. Mostly Catholic, it's this old saying that in a family of many sons, the first son got the farm. Second son went off and became a lawyer. Third would start a business. And what do you do with the youngest son? Uh, you send him off to become a priest. Sometimes in Reformed churches we have the same thing. The youngest, well, he can become a pastor. We should see this as a noble calling that the first son, please, go into the pastoral ministry. We need to raise up our young men so that they go into the ministry and see this as a noble calling. All vocations are noble. But to serve the king of kings and to teach the gospel is the most noble of the callings. To teach about God, the living true God. About Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. To teach and to call sinners to faith and repentance. To announce the forgiveness in Jesus Christ of new life and gift of the spirit. Of the promise of resurrection and the life to get for eternity in God's presence. Is there a better calling? Is there a better vocation? But to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work of an overseer, a pastor, evangelist, missionary and teacher... It is a noble, praiseworthy calling that we need to set before our men. And I would also say you need to encourage those who are already pastors, missionaries, and evangelists. It is a difficult calling. It can be very trying. The word here for good can also be praiseworthy. We need to praise our men, our pastors and missionaries. It's good to give them a word of encouragement. Send them a little text message, an email. Thank you for the sermon. Thank you for the work that you're doing with the Muslims. Thank you for going overseas to teach pastors, train missionaries. You can send them an email, but I do recommend, particularly in our electronic society where everything is so quickly sent, 
A handwritten card is a powerful gift. A handwritten card of thanks and encouragement. And as you gather around the table to, pray, to eat and you pray, give thanks to the Lord for every pastor, evangelist, and missionary that he gives to the church. It is a good, noble, praiseworthy calling. And finally, as we consider this text, we need to consider the verb which is used, even repeated. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Brothers, you need to desire the calling of an overseer. You need to aspire, earnestly desire this call. The verb is used twice. Something's repeated. That means we're putting emphasis on this. Desire, the second verb that's used there, desire is a good work, would mean to have a strong impulse for something. You can desire good things. You can desire bad things. Later on in chapter 6, he uses the same, same verb for those who desire to become rich. Bad desire. But you can have a good desire to give, to serve, to volunteer, to love. And it is a commendable, a longing, earnest desire. The first verb, the desire that you have in your translation in the ESV is translated as aspire. It's the idea, literally, of reaching out for something. A child who wants a cookie. It's on the table. He's a little bit too short, so he gets up on his tiptoes and he reaches out to get that cookie because he desires it. He aspires. Maybe not a good thing, good illustration. But we need to have those who will reach out and seek the ministry. Brothers, you need to stretch out for the calling of the ministry of the word and lay hold of it. Now questions are often raised to what extent a man should desire to become a pastor. We've seen men who desired and they really should not. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher of another century, in his words, call to the ministry, writes this. The first sign of the heavenly call is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. And in quoting another pastor, he says, he writes, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. Do not enter the ministry if you can help it. And then he adds, again, developing what's in our text here, this desire should be one which continues with us, a passion which bears the test of trial, a longing from which it is quite impossible for us to escape. Or to use the words of Samuel, our text in Samuel, the Lord repeats his calling. We love that story, right? Don't we kids? God calls Samuel. Calls him how many times? Three times. Actually, no, four times the Lord called Samuel to be his prophet and to speak his word. Those the Lord calls to the ministry, he calls more than once. He calls them many times. If you're here and saying, I'm called to the ministry because of that sermon, you better receive other calls, not just mine. When I was six years old, I went and visited my friend Clarence. He wasn't home. So I sat down with his mother, Kathy Snip, and she tells the story how I sat down and helped her clean beans. And I told her at six years of age I was going to become a pastor. Why? Because I had been befriended by the Reverend Greg Martin, and I wanted to be like him. A few years later, 11 years of age, when I came to the age of reasoning, I figured, you know, I want to get to heaven. And if there's anyone in church who's going to get to heaven, it's the pastor. So I'm going to become a pastor and get to heaven. A couple years later, I thought, you know, that's not the best motivation to have. Turned to politics, not sure of the best motivation either, but 
had an interest in political science, wanted to become the Prime Minister of Canada, have to learn French, moved to Chicoutimi for a summer, learned French. Chicoutimi is two and a half hours north of Quebec City, way up there. No Reformed Church, worshipped in the Brethren Assembly. They had a second worship service, and they invited the local ba Baptist pastor to come and preach, an American who learned French. Terrible accent. I understood everything he said. And during the sermon, he apologized for his terrible French. He said, why did God call me up to Shakutami to preach the gospel? Maybe it's to call one of you to become a pastor or missionary. And I was in my chair saying, no, Lord, not me. But God kept working on my heart. And during the referendum in 1995, for those of us who remember that referendum in Quebec, God put a burden on my heart for Quebec. The Quebecers could be part of Canada, they could be part of Quebec, but they needed to be part of God's country. I laid it before the Lord in prayer, and he opened doors. In the last couple of years, as I struggled about considering the call to the ministry, the Lord brought it into my hands. A personal journal that I writ, wrote during the years I was in Shakutami, the year I was there, and I saw how the Lord was working on my heart, the call to the ministry, repeatedly calling me. And he confirmed my call, even now, so I can pursue the ministry in the province of Quebec. I share that calling, this story, brothers, not because this is the only way to follow just to show that the Lord continues to call as he did Samuel, as he does each servant of God. And I believe that you need to cultivate that calling, brothers. Cultivate the calling of the Spirit in your lives. Cultivate the calling of, this call, of the Spirit in the lives of our sons and daughters. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so fathers and mothers, encourage you as you see your sons growing and if you see maturity in their lives and a desire to serve God, to encourage them to seek the ministry. To consider this call. And brothers. Brothers of this church. You also need to cultivate that calling to the ministry. Cultivate the Spirit's desire in your heart. Read the pastoral epistles. First and Second Timothy, Titus. Read the calls of the prophets. Samuel, Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. The apostles, Paul. Read books about the call to the ministry. Reverend John Sidema's book, Called to Preach. Still available from Mid-America Seminary on their website. Horatius Bonar, Words to Winners of Souls. Or D.A. Carson's book, Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor, The Life and Reflections of Tom Carson. D.A. Carson talks about his father, Tom Carson, leaving Ontario, going to Quebec. A very ordinary ministry. Touched my soul. I believe every man should read it. Because we're all just ordinary pastors in ordinary ministries serving an extraordinary God. Listen to the testimonies of pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and then pray, even as Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And when I speak to the men here, I'm not just speaking to the young men or the boys. I'm speaking to the older men. Married, children, career, going well. You can serve the church as elders, and we thank you for that as deacons. Wonderful. Men who have a maturity of life make excellent pastors. What a challenge. Pick up your family, go study, do internships. Huge challenge. Very likely the Lord has worked upon your heart, the godly character as it's described in 1 Timothy 3. Young men make great pastors. Young men make great pastors if early in their ministry they subdue their selfish arrogance. And develop that spirit of mother-like affection to care for the flock of God. 
And finally, a word for you, sisters, Christ. The Spirit does not call you to cultivate the call to the ministry. But the Spirit may be calling you to become the wife of a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary, a teacher. It's a precious call, a noble call. My wife in the past has been asked, her name is Melanie, she says, Melanie, when you got married, did you know that Ben would become a pastor? And she would answer, I knew that he would become an, an historian, a politician, or a pastor. And then she would add, tongue-in-cheek, but a little bit seriously, I wasn't sure which one was worse. Being a pastor's wife, precious call, with its particular challenges. We need to pray for pastors' wives, for their children and families. The overseer must be a husband of one wife, able to manage his household with his wife. He needs the support of a godly child of God, a godly woman. Brothers and sisters, thank you for listening to this sermon. The Spirit is calling. This is a good saying, trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the offers, anyone desires the position of a bishop and overseer, he desires a good work. And I'm convicted that the Spirit is calling, even from this church, men to become pastors. If you follow me on Sermon Audio, you see I've preached this sermon in many churches. Because I'm convicted that the Lord is calling men from every church. Hear the call, brothers. And all of us. Let us be diligent, not only to encourage men to become pastors but also to be diligent to pray. To pray the Lord of the harvest that he would indeed send out laborers into his harvest field. If we are faithful, we will see the Spirit raise up men to preach the gospel, to be evangelists and missionaries and teachers. And the gospel will go forth, and God will gather in his people to the praise of his name. And our joy in Christ Jesus.